Welcome to the Shanna Plan. This is episode 12. We are fresh off of an embarrassing loss for the 49ers. Uh, the score was made it seem like it was closer than it was, but we watched the game and uh, the 49ers scored a last-minute garbage time touchdown. I am joined by Akash. Akash, what is going on? What's going on, Kyle? Uh, big day today. Uh, NFL trade deadline, election night. Lots going on. Lots going on with the 49ers. Uh, excited to talk to you, even though they got uh, embarrassed on Sunday, unfortunately. So Akash went to his first Seattle Seahawks game at CenturyLink. I joined him. It was it was supposed to be an enjoyable game. Got off to a good start. Defense started off hot. Uh, and then a turnover happened. And then it went all downhill from there. But we are going to start with the injuries because we are talking about the 49ers. But first, we are going to talk about who they released today. So Dante Pettis, 2018 second round pick, had a pretty good rookie season. Seven games and put up some decent numbers. Made some big plays. Looked like he would have a promising future. Fast forward to today, just hasn't done much. Came into 2019 training camp overweight, led to some injuries, and never really recovered from then. Wasn't really a surprise that they released him after not being able to find a trade partner, which says a lot, especially with Pettis' age and just, you know, with his talent. So what what happens from here with Pettis? Does he turn his career around? Where does he land? What do, what do you think happens with Pettis, Akash? Yeah, you and I, I think we look at Dante Pettis kind of the same. We think he's a talented player that has upside, um, but just didn't really fit what Kyle Shanahan was looking for in a wide receiver. Um, and I thought he was a pretty good route runner. I think he lands on his feet with another team. And if he can get right, if he can get sort of his uh, football passion and like the dog mentality and, and, and the stuff like that that we talk about, then he has potential to become a productive receiver. Maybe not what he was expected when he got drafted in the second round, but at least someone that produces and can be on an NFL roster. Um, but just for the 49ers, this was purely a money or purely a move to save money. Um, I think they had like $100,000 in cap space coming into today, which meant they couldn't even elevate guys from the practice squad, like Kevin White, for instance. Um, they were just so pressed up that they couldn't even make those type of moves. And so um, by cutting Dante Pettis, they saved like $500,000. That will be good enough just to make some in-season moves. Um, and clearly he just wasn't worth what his rookie contract was. Uh, and they couldn't find a suitor. And we talked about it on Sunday. As soon as he fumbled that kickoff, we knew his his time here was done. It, it was over at that point. Um, whether they were going to trade him or cut him or whatever. And so they, they released him today. And I remember coming out of college that Pettis did have some concerns. Like he was a finesse receiver. And yeah. Shanahan, it's kind of crazy that they they weren't able to uncover that because as we've seen, he's made no secret that he wants that dog mentality, as you mentioned. So I do think he's going to have a successful successful year somewhere else. I don't think that that mentality will be pushed on him. I think he'll be allowed to play more free and obviously will have a lesser role, but he'll just be competent. I can imagine him going somewhere and having somewhat of a Kendrick Bourne type of career where he's a number three receiver, number four receiver, whatever it may be. And he's he's having these four or 500 yard seasons. But, you know, he comes up with a catch here or there that makes a difference. And that's not what you want from a second rounder. 
No. And that's why the 49ers moved on from him, among other reasons. Obviously, you can't fumble a freaking kick when your team is trailing. You can't miss a block on the goal line and have your running back be tackled in the backfield. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's true. From week two or week three, right? No, he did that against Seattle. Like, he missed a block oh, really? just in the last game. Yeah, that cost them. I think it was first and goal or second and goal, and Hasty was tackled in the backfield. He ended up scoring, but those are the plays that he you just can't do. He kind of half that route after I watched it back where on the it was a league play that went to Dwelly. Um I don't I don't know, man. He it didn't seem like he was giving his full effort, which the last That's thing I want to do is question people's effort, but it just didn't seem like he was he was trying to his full potential as we've seen other guys do. But honestly, the receivers as a as a whole this year have just not been very good at blocking. And that goes for Kittle too, who has been surprisingly bad. But that's a good very segue. Good point. We will now talk about Jim Garoppolo's ankle injury, uh, George Kittle's foot fracture. So on a in a late fourth quarter play where Kittle made a great reception, you know, his contested catch down the field. Uh looked like he I don't know if he either rolled over it or the defender landed on his foot, but Kittle broke his foot. He will be out eight weeks, which is the rest of the season, unless the 49ers make a playoff push, which, you know. Um, but what, what's going to happen is Kittle out for the season, as I mentioned, and now Jimmy Garoppolo, high ankle sprain, Kyle Shanahan said it is worse than before. It's a completely new injury than the previous one. At the very least, Garoppolo will return in six weeks. Um, he He could obviously return sooner than that and make a push to play, but if he has to have a season, if, sorry, if he has to have surgery, he's going to miss the rest of the season. And that is going to put his future with the 49ers in the air. And I want to just touch on this quote from Kittle real quick. So Kyle Shannon said, George told him I could be back in two weeks because that's how I roll. Um, great for Twitter. Great for, you know, just tweets and stuff. But that's, I mean, that's just not going to happen. At just all. whatever. Just, just hyping up his guy. Yeah. You, you broke your foot. You're not going yeah. back in yeah. two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, we have to talk about Jimmy because for whatever reason, we talk about all these other injuries. But whenever we talk about the quarterback, injuries get thrown out of the window and injuries don't count for Jimmy Garoppolo. So how much of an impact will Jimmy Garoppolo's injuries have in Kyle Shannon's decision on whether he is the future quarterback? Yeah, I think, you know, Kyle Shanahan has seen him now for what, three seasons and obviously fans and media, they'll, they'll focus in on just the games. But Kyle Shanahan sees this guy day in and day out uh, from training camp through practices, through preseason. He gets a lot of time with Jimmy Garoppolo just outside of what we get to see him uh, perform, right? So he has an idea of what he has in Jimmy Garoppolo. He's designed an offense around him. He's calling plays that highlights his strengths and kind of minimize his weaknesses. Um, so he knows what he has. He said as much today during his press conference. He said, you know, I, I've got my evaluation on Garoppolo. And, you know, he said that he would like for Garoppolo to play because he gives him the best chance to win. And that's true. Given the quarterbacks on this roster, Jimmy Garoppolo gives this team the best chance to win. And that's that's effectively what Kyle Shanahan said. But he wouldn't commit to anything beyond 2020, which I think is fair. Um just given Garoppolo's contract situation, given his play, that's like completely in play, right? And so that that's the thing with Garoppolo. And I think a, a lot of the things that fans miss is, you know, when we look at a guy like Russell Wilson, he hasn't missed a game in his career. 
And you look at a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, he's, you know, out of the 48 possible games or whatever, I think he's missed like 25. It's, it's a high number or a high percentage of games that he's missed due to injury. Uh, starting back with his time with the Patriots, right? He, I think in his first or second star, he got hurt and they had to have the, his backup come in when Tom Brady was suspended. Uh, then you obviously have the ACL in uh, 2018. 2019 was the only season where he was completely healthy. And then back in, back to 2020, right? We had two different sprained ankles. So it's like, can this guy just stay healthy? Forget just how he performs on the field. Can we just rely on him to show up every Sunday and be the starting quarterback? That's, you know, you're the most important position in all of sports and you have to be relied on to be out there every Sunday because your team needs you. And the drop-off between Garoppolo and the other backup quarterbacks is steep enough where you can't count on those guys every week to come out and win when Garoppolo isn't healthy. So that that's a valid thing we're going to have to question. Um, but yeah, so he's, what, six weeks if he doesn't get surgery. So uh, with that timeline, he's, he might be back like week 15, 16 around then, uh, depending, I would assume, on where the Niners are uh, in their playoff hunt. Yeah, it's um, it just doesn't feel like we're being fair when we're talking about you know his injury compared to other people. I wish yeah. I had the numbers. I wish I had looked this up because I, I wonder over the past four or five seasons what the injury numbers for Garoppolo look like compared to D Ford, who gets a terrible rap and rightfully so because he's missed a lot of time. But I imagine Jimmy's not that far off. And uh, I know not. 2016, as you mentioned, separated his shoulder in a second start. 2017, he had those five healthy starts at the end of the year. 2018, tore his ACL in his third start, misses the rest of the season. 2019, he was healthy, and we saw what Jimmy could do. And then this year, the high ankle sprain in the second start, re-aggravated in the fourth start, and those high ankle sprains are obviously going to linger. What There's no telling that that would be any different next year, the year after. So that is going to be a big factor. And moving into his on-the-field play, it's not like he's been lighting it up. And I know when you are tied to a player, it is easy to root for him. And that's what fans do with Jimmy Garoppolo. And I understand why, especially with the success that the team had last year. But as we saw, and as we've seen since the playoffs of last year, Garoppolo's numbers have not been very good. And not just from his numbers, his play, like the way he's seeing the field. And uh, go to NinersNation.com. And I wrote about seven throws that Jimmy Garoppolo had. And I mean... Obviously, those are just seven throws, but these have been the same things that have been happening over and over and over again. Seattle did a really good job of using simulated pressure. So they would blitz a guy from one side and drop a defensive end from the other, essentially. Or they would blitz a linebacker from up the middle and drop a defensive tackle. They would just mix it up, confuse the offensive line, and that did give them pressure. That did give them you know, looks that they weren't familiar with, and it messed them up. But... Jimmy Garoppolo was not seeing where the blitzes were coming from. He was missing wide open receivers. He wasn't throwing the ball on time. He wasn't throwing it accurately. And it was causing him to hold the ball. And that we are seeing more and more each week, receivers just get more frustrated. And you can see in the post game, Kyle's fed up. You could hear it in Trent Williams' voice um, after the game. And then just the more players talk about it, you can just you can just kind of feel their defeatedness in their voice. And I feel like that's going to matter when Kyle Shanahan makes his decision at the end of the season, he's not, he's going to look, he watches this film more way more than we do. He knows way more about football than we do. And it's, it's kind of surprising to see fans or to hear fans 
talk about, you know, he was injured and he won't have to do this or you can't judge him on this. But I mean, these none of the problems are really new. So, um, yeah, see, that's the biggest thing. And I feel like fans, obviously, if you're a fan, you're rooting for results, right? You're rooting for wins and losses at the end of the day. Are you rooting for wins? And that's all you're looking at. It's all that's the only stat that matters to you, right? And so when the team won last year, when they were 13 and three, when they go to the Super Bowl, you get attached to all the players that were a part of that team and the quarterback that led that team. And naturally your support becomes, okay, you look, you look at it in a vacuum and you say, Hey, when Jimmy Garoppolo starts, this team wins. When Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard and Brian Hoyer starts, this team loses. And so the argument is that simple for certain people, but you and I, and there's a good amount of people that we talk about process, right? And I think football coaches and football players, especially, or if you're just any type of athlete, you, you say, okay, we build a process. And if we can repetitively, repetitively have good process, it will lead to good results. And then when you have bad process, eventually that process will lead you to fail like it did in the Super Bowl for the 49ers and you'll lose a game, right? Um, and so the things that we see with Jimmy Garoppolo, whether it's pre-snap reads, whether it's after the snap going through your progressions, whether it's like footwork and mechanics, it's like that's bad process. And it wins you games when your team is stacked like they were in 2019 and you can run the ball like you did in 2019. And when you start 8-0 and you have a few performances like you did against Arizona or New Orleans where people will remember those big games and those big moments. But when you look at the totality, when you just take a step back and you watch how he plays in a vacuum, it's the same problems that he's having this season, except the team isn't as good. They're more banged up. The offensive line isn't as cohesive as they were. Um, you know, these games are closer. They require Garoppolo to make more plays. Um, and just you put all those things together and you're seeing, you know, the results this season, right? The results of that process that's been built up and it's not working and people will point to injuries and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I'm not sure how defensive injuries have to do with Jimmy Garoppolo reading a field or seeing a blitz. Like, you know, you and I talked about this before we got on and I had tweeted two clips, right? It was one where Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't see a blitz before the snap. There's a defender coming off of the left side. He has Ayuk and Bourne to his left and it's it's a play where if the defender blitzes, you throw to Bourne because the defender basically vacates the area that Bourne would be in, and it would be like an easy first down. It was like a third and six, I think, or third and seven. He ends up throwing to Ayuk, which is the wrong read, and Ayuk can stop short. Obviously, I think they go for it on fourth down. They convert it, so no fan remembers that that's a bad play. That's bad process because eventually you get the first down. Now, on the flip side, Nick Mullins, fourth quarter, same play. I think the formation was flipped. They had Bourne and Ayuk on the right side. Nick Mullen sees the defender blitzing. He throws to Kendrick Bourne like you're supposed to. Uh, he becomes like your hot read. He has like a 25-yard gain. And again, it was, a, it was a third down. Huge gain. You don't even think about it. But it's like those things over time get pointed out because you just have bad process. And so that's what we continually harp on. It's like, when you have a quarterback who does the right things over and over again, eventually it will lead to winning football. And if, yeah, that, that's been my biggest qualm about Garoppolo this season. Yeah, the, the reason that we tweet out, you know, his play at every game, 
no matter the result is because we're not concerned about, you know, the result. If he is playing the right way, the correct way, making the correct decisions, playing on time, just getting a good pre-snap read of where to go, which if you watch his interception, you look to the left, Jarek McKinnon, Trent Taylor, that should be an instant disqualifier right there. Look to but, the right. Yeah. You have Ayuk, Bourne and Kittle, I think on the right side. And it's like, that that's the side you should start with. Yeah. If that wasn't enough, there were also three Seahawks defenders over those two receivers. So Jimmy Garoppolo takes his, takes his drop back, still looks left, which from the jump, you're in a wrong position. So you have you, the play doesn't have a chance. If he looks to his right, he probably has a chance to throw to Ayuk on the out route, which is the first down. He probably sees that Bourne is streaking open, and he has plenty of room to throw him open, where if he really, really has to, maybe he throws a better ball to Kittle just because he's looking that way to begin with. But, I mean, you could – you could do that probably with a lot of players, but his process is not right. And that's why we continue to harp on him. But um, I want to also give some credit to Seattle because they made a lot of plays in this game. Obviously, Russell Wilson is Russell Wilson. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that we talked about before this game was the 49ers defensive backs, they have to make a play. They did not make plays. Um, Emmanuel, San- uh, sorry, Emmanuel Mosley, he, so he did slip on the 46-yarder. But I mean, that that was that was one of the few. And I mean, he wasn't in position for most of the game. So um, I actually wrote down some of his stats. And here, let me load that up. His, but, his, his, while, while you pull that up, I mean, his stats look bad, but I thought he played better than his numbers looked. That's and fair. It, it's, it's hard to expect an undrafted free agent to guard arguably what should have been a first round pick in DK Metcalf like. Yeah, it is what it is. I think fans, they look at the highlights from last year when uh, Mosley had some deflections and you just expect him to be able to do that. But it's like even the week before, like Stephon Gilmore had a hard time covering DK Metcalf. Like Metcalf's just a better player. Like he's going to win more often than not. So oh, M- Mosley stats. And the, so the issue that I had was um, he's – I don't think he's the most fluid player. I think that, well, I mean, we could go and have a whole podcast that Verrett should be the boundary corner and Mosley shouldn't be the field corner because the biggest issue that Mosley has is his change of direction. He does not get out of his breaks well at all. Verrett is incredible at that. And some of the throws that Mosley was allowing, like the curls underneath late in the game or the slants, and not just to Metcalf but to Moore, like that's not his game, whereas Barrett is just smooth and is able to contest those throws. So for the game, Mosley was targeted 10 times, gave up nine catches. How many yards would you guess he gave up? Like 130. 145. That was close. That was uh, close. Because <laughs> I think Metcalf had, what, two, three snaps on Verrett or three targets, and two of those were screens on, like, the first two drives, I think, and Verrett made fantastic tackles. But it's not yeah. like Metcalf was threatening – uh, Verrett down the field or anything. So of those nine completions, Mosley gave up six first downs. And Oof. two of those were over 20 yards. One of them was a touchdown, which is slant, which he was right there. Like, I do not fault him for that at all. That's just Mosley being – or sorry, that's just Metcalf being a grown man. But he had – of those nine receptions, six of them were blown coverages, which means he's not within an arm's length to make a play on the ball. So that's where that change of direction comes into play. Uh, Robert Sala explained a little bit of the differences today, but nobody, they didn't ask him why Mosley is better suited in that role. Because you mentioned Everett, like he had 
there was one play where he did give up a, I believe it was a 15 yard comeback on the route that probably took four and a half seconds to develop. But yeah. that was a play where this is Russell Wilson being Russell Wilson. He comes all the way from the right side back to the left, pulls the trigger, the ball's yeah. in a perfect spot. And I mean, that's just one of those hat tip plays. So I want to give credit to Metcalf and Russell Wilson. I also want to give credit to Bobby Wagner, who apparently reads 49ers fans' tweets because all week, all we heard about was Fred Warner being the best linebacker in the NFL, which he is. And I believe that firmly. I also believe that he's a very, very good player. And then he still does not get the credit that he does, that he should. But man, Bobby Wagner played with his hair on fire. All he's after. a monster. He was literally running through the 49ers offensive line and running back. Uh, he ran over McGlinchey. He ran over Brunskill. He ran over uh, Jarek McKinnon. It was unreal. And he was just making plays left and right. He was just a dominant defensive player in that game. So you got to give credit where credit is due. And the Seahawks made more plays. Um, who, who stood out to you, uh, good or bad, on the Seahawks? Uh, on Seattle, I would – you you hit hit the nail on the head. I'd start with Metcalf. Um, just being there in person, watching Russell Wilson throw to DK Metcalf is uh, it's like an enlightening experience. Like the the way the ball travels and comes out of Wilson's hands and lands like in a bucket, like the throw down the left sideline on the goal ball, where Mosley's in like decent position and. Wilson drops it in like the perfect spot, and you watch that, and you're like, I'm not sure how you defend that. And it's just, yeah, it's just greatness um, at work. And there's other plays where you see Metcalf come off the line of scrimmage and he wins so fast. He's so big, so strong. Um, I don't know how they let uh, Seattle draft him, especially, you know, in the mid rounds uh, because of like a three cone time or whatever it was. Um, But he just, just a total freak. Uh, And then you you hit the other guy that I would have gone with uh, Bobby Wagner or DJ Reed would be the other winner. Um, it was his first game playing the season, first time active, uh, quote unquote revenge game. He had that interception. Uh, he put McGlinchey on his back one time on a blitz. Shocker. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, I thought he had a uh, he had a good game, especially against his former team. Uh, so give credit where credit is due there as well. Um, just like you mentioned, I thought uh, Ken Norton Jr especially when it came to blitzing Jimmy Garoppolo did a good job with basically doing what uh, Vance Joseph did to Russell Wilson in overtime last week, where just line up a bunch of guys at the line of scrimmage and make Jimmy Garoppolo think about where the pressure is coming from. And like nine times out of 10, he couldn't get it right. And they would like drop different players and send different players and they would be coming from all different directions. And yeah, I, I, I would, give credit to their defensive staff as well. So I want to talk about Brandon Ayuk because he looked really, really good. He finished the game with, so he's targeted 10 times, had eight receptions for 91 yards, caught a touchdown near the end of the half. 24 of those came after the catch. Of those eight receptions, four of them went for first downs. He probably should have scored a touchdown if Nick Mullins could throw the ball further than 40 yards. Like That throw, it, I've honestly it's really tough to throw the ball that short for an NFL quarterback. Um, And I don't want to just pile on Mullins because we all know his arms is not very good, but I thought Mullins was really starting to progress. Like he's adding moves. He's adding, and he talked about that. Yes. uh, Today, actually. So I asked him, you know, what are you doing for your game? And he said, he's trying to add 
more and more packages to his game. He's, he said that Wes Welker all, always says you have to have a plan, and that's what most pass rushers say. So I'm glad that he said that as a receiver because he's using what's called a rocker step. So he's stepping one way. It's almost like a basketball crossover where you're going one way, sharp cut, back the other way, and he's just creating separation. He did it against Bobby Wagner. He did it against Quentin Dunbar. But he's just looking a lot more comfortable in general as a receiver. He's their clear number one. Um, will we be able – and for, for the record, this is not anything new. He's just having a chance to showcase it. And I, I just want to see him continue to grow because they have some serious weapons on this team, and he looks like a star. He looks like a true number one wide receiver, and I wouldn't have expected it when they had drafted him, probably because I watched him less coming out of college. I, I was just more focused probably on the top three guys, uh, Lamb, uh, Ruggs, and Judy, and less so I the IU, Rager, like that group. But he's been fantastic. He looks better than Debo did his rookie season. Hell, he looks better than Debo right now, just as like a route runner. He looks like a true wide receiver where maybe just because of the way Debo Samuel's used, he's more used like a gadget player, which might be unfair to him, but... Yeah, he's just been the real deal, and we talked about this before we hit record. When your rookie wide receiver is like throwing mini tantrums and like complaining, you know he's good because he's complaining that he's not getting the ball more because he's winning at the line of scrimmage. Um, yeah, uh, I tweeted at a clip where yeah, you know he sort of throws like a mini tantrum after not getting the ball, and uh, last week in New England he was wide open on that deep shot from Jimmy he thought he should have had a touchdown and he I think he throws the ball after so Ayuk sort of gaining the confidence that he's like the best wide receiver on this team and that's that's great that's exactly what you'd expect when you take a guy number 25 in the first round um, and I think he's going to be a stud and you combine that with what you get out of Debo Samuel you have a perfect you know first wide receiver second wide receiver combination now you have a tight end to George Kittle to play off of it. Like the offensive weapons on this team are, are just fantastic. They can just get the rest of the offense figured out. Um, they could be a really, really fun watch, especially with Kyle Shanahan at the helm. Yeah, having that Shanahan guy does not hurt. Uh, just looking at the game, Ayuk was so good, but he is still so far away from what Metcalf is. And that just kind of speaks yeah. – the star that Metcalf has become. And it happened really, really quick. So uh, moving on. So other injuries we talked about. Uh, so Dante Pettis released. Obviously, we talked about that. Julian Taylor, who was one of their few 300-pound defensive linemen, he was released with an injury settlement off of injured reserve and other injuries. So Tevin Coleman hurt his knee. He is going to be out for a little bit, quote-unquote, from Kyle Shanahan. Uh, we don't know when he's going to be back. That means the 49ers will roll into Thursday with Jared McKinnon, Jermichael Hasty, and Austin Walter. So we will find out real quick if you can just plug and play any running back into Shanahan's system. Um, get well soon, Raheem Mostert. The good news is Jordan Reed was limited in practice. He's probably going to play on Thursday. We will go a 2020 season without seeing Kittle and Jordan Reed on the field for extended plays. Um, but if you remember the Giants game, Reed did play very well. So hopefully him and Mullins continue that rapport that they had. Richie James was limited in practice on Tuesday. He pretty much has to play, I you would imagine. And Jaquiski Tart, he was limited as well. Having him back will be big because Marcel Harris, while he does has those one good plays and screams down the line, there's always going to be plays in coverage where you just shake your head. So 
Uh, anything to add on those injuries before we take a break? Uh, no, no. I, I think – what more can I say? They've got like $80 million on IR. Uh, we talked about it. Football Outsiders just suggested games lost. They led that stat the last two years. They're going to lead it by a wide margin. Back to um, back, there back, is, back baby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do they hang banners for that at Levi's for uh, being the most injured team? Because uh, the Niners would win that every time. But, uh, yeah, there's no regression to the mean. I hate people who are always like, ah, we, we were so hurt last year. You know, fans are like, yeah, our, our team was just so injured that this year we're not we're not going to be injured. Like, we're protected. And, like, the Niner fans just can't say that because every year it's like every dude goes through some type of injury. Um, and just just brutal. Just brutal. I, I feel for Kyle Shanahan. Like, if you're a coach, you work your ass off just countless hours, and you just don't have the guys to, like, execute what you're trying to execute. So, yeah. Think about how his career is gone. Like, he pissed somebody off somewhere along the line, and he's yeah. for it now because yeah. – he has a very, very, very talented football team. And the Falcons were talented and blows the Super Bowl. Last year, something goes wrong, blows the Super Bowl. This year, you would think the 49ers, who were favorites to win the NFC, they just crumble with injuries week after week. And somebody goes on the IR literally every week, it feels like. And I'm sure that if we could pull up the games, but they just lose. And they're not just losing, you know, third string running backs, uh, fourth string tight ends. Their freaking quarterback is probably going to miss the rest of the season. Their star tight end who they just gave a brand new contract is going to miss the rest of the season and we're halfway through. We haven't seen Raheem Mostert who looks like a star when he's on the field, but we haven't seen him for you know extended periods of time. Debo Samuel, obvious star. He's hurt. He just The list goes on and on. Richard Sherman, all pro. Nick Bosa, the best freaking pass rusher in the NFL. We don't. We haven't seen him. So, yeah, man, I feel for Kyle, but, I mean, he has his work cut out for him, and we're going to find out, again, what he can do, what he can work his – if he can work his magic for these these last eight games. So we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with some season predictions, talk a little bit about the Packers, and get out of here. All right, we're back. So Thursday night, Levi Stadium, the 49ers will take on the Green Bay Packers, who they have owned in the past couple of years. But before we get to that, we want to talk about the season prediction because – Four and four right now, halfway through the season. Many people thought, you know, six and two, five, like five and three at the very, very worst. But when you lose a couple of games to teams that you should not lose to, you can't afford to drop games moving forward. So they have the Packers next, then they have the Saints. Those are two games that, you know, they're going to be underdogs no matter what happens. And it's going to be, they're, they're probably going to be underdogs for a good amount of games moving forward, yeah. just because, you know, Nick Mullins is a starter. Um, we were talking about the playoffs last week. The 49ers are still only the ninth seed. So, I mean, they have a chance to make it. They're going to obviously have to win some games they're not supposed to, which yep. this team does, and I imagine this team will. But that that also just leaves their margin for error just isn't very good. They cannot afford to slip up against, you know, the Dallas's, the Washingtons. What do you think happens? What's your What's your season prediction moving forward? Yeah, so they're the only, I think they're the only four and four team right now, which is kind of wild. Um, just given the injuries that they've had, you step back and you're like, they're actually four and four. It's not they're not out of the woods because with seven, you know, wild seven playoff spots, excuse me, and three wild card spots, you're like, could nine and seven get you into the playoffs? And to get to nine and seven, they'd have to finish the season five and three. 
and you look at their schedule, just like you mentioned, they've got Green Bay next, uh, you know, in a couple days here. So you look at the matchup, and I think that matchup actually favors San Francisco. So Green Bay right now, 29th ranked defense per DVOA, uh, 25th in pass defense, 22nd in rushing defense. And that rushing defense is the key. So a sneaky advantage Seattle had last week, they were a top 10 rushing defense. And it, it was their pass defense that was terrible. And the Niners just couldn't take advantage of it because of their quarterback play. But when opposing teams have bad rushing defenses, the Niners just run the ball down their throat. Whether it was uh, the Rams a couple weeks ago, whether it was the Patriots, they were successful running the ball and that sets up the rest of their offense. And so I actually like that matchup. Dalvin Cook had a monster game last week. Um, obviously, Green Bay's offense, very similar to uh, Seattle's um, in, in DVOA. I think they're both like top five. They both have MVP type quarterback play. And it's going to be tough to slow those guys down. But I just think weird weird stuff happens on Thursday night. They're going to be at home. They're coming off of a loss. Um, if Nick Mullins can be functional, like if Nick Mullins can play like he did on Sunday, I think the, that he'll give the 49ers a chance to win that game. Uh, then you look beyond that. New Orleans is a top 10 defense. Like I think the 49ers will struggle. They're a really good rushing defense as well. I just have a hard time seeing Nick Mullins winning in NOLA. Then they come back. They have Buffalo on a Monday night. Buffalo's been sneaky weird. Like they had a really good start. Josh Allen looked like an MVP. Then they've come back to earth. So, I mean, we can take, you know, after these few weeks and just seeing how Mullins plays and who who the other guys they get back, that could be a coin flip game maybe, especially with Buffalo going cross country. Uh, then I think they've got like the Rams uh, before they play a couple of NFC least teams, which we should just chalk up as... Chalk up his W's. Like, I don't even need to talk about it. Cooper Rush, Ben DiNucci, like Kyle Allen. Like, I don't really care. The Niners should win those games. Um, But yeah, in these next four games that they've got, if they can somehow split or go one and three, and then they win those two NFC lease games, all of a sudden you're like, okay, they finished the six game stretch, three and three. They have a chance to get Jimmy Garoppolo back. And that's all you can ask for, in my opinion. So I think the most winnable games are Green Bay, Washington and Dallas. Um, and if they can somehow pull off those three, then they've got a punching chance at the playoffs. No, I agree with pretty much everything you said. Um, you, I, I want to say that those NFC East games are a lock, but people thought that the 49ers would put up 40 against Philly, and that didn't happen. People but, thought that the Dolphins game would be, you know, a walk fair. in the park. That's fair. And that was the most obvious trap game in the world. And that, and obviously it's easy to say that now. That's fair. But, I mean, just these these teams, they always seem to either give the 49ers their best shot or find ways to capitalize on the 49ers' mistakes. And when you have Mick Mullins as your quarterback, and as, as this goes after we just get done bashing Jimmy Garoppolo, but a backup quarterback is going to make mistakes that you are not going to expect. That's fair. And we saw that with in Philadelphia. So I, I don't know that it, there is going to be any sort of shoe-in, you know, no-brainer win. Fair. But there's still so much talent on the roster. And eventually, you know, M- Mostert will get back and Debo will get back. So Mullen's job will be easier. Um, yeah, it'll just be whether they can weather the storm. And if they get to – even if they get to eight wins, how – like – Kyle Shanahan's coach of the year. Yeah, I was gonna say like he, it, he gets my vote. 
how how is Kyle Shannon not the coach of the year? And and that maybe we're ignoring somebody obvious. Um, maybe this is only because you know we're talking about the 49ers, but to overcome everything they've overcame, uh, yeah, he, it's it would be pretty special if he got this team to eight wins. At the same time, with saying that, I don't know if fans want them to win any games because you have seen teams talk or people talk about, you know, tank. Uh, but four wins, as of right now, is probably not going to get you a franchise quarterback. You're probably going to have to move up. But we're going to save that talk for for later. Yeah. The, the tank thing, while in theory sounds great because, you, you know, you can get yourself to a position where you can potentially draft a franchise quarterback. Um, it's like there's just too much talent on this team and the coach is too good to like blow some of these games. Like they're going to win more than like, if I, if I set the over under at two wins, the rest of the season, you take the over or the under or you push for two wins. If I, uh, if I go two and a half. Oh, two and a half. Um, so obviously Washington, Dallas, <laughs> that's those okay. are the easy ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you I don't winning one more. Who like I'm trying to think who I I don't think Arizona is very good. Um, I don't think that I think that Kyle can scheme Mullins like can scheme the offense and Mullins. But by then you know maybe Grappos back and but we saw how that went week one. So again, <laughs> who knows, man? I don't know. Yeah, I I would not take that bet, and I am a degenerate. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. As, as we've seen in the past, he, he bets on like Appalachian <laughs> State and like these random FCS schools, and he texts me about it. But when's um, the win? Yeah, I, I would I would probably think they end up with like three or four wins the rest of the season if if Mullins plays the rest of the way. Now, if Garoppolo comes back for those last two and he's like fully healthy and they're like seven and seven and they need to win two to get in, then maybe it's like 2017 all over again and he like wills them and he's a hero or whatever. But yeah, I just can't, I just can't see them winning more than like three or four games with Mullins. So let's say that they don't, or sorry, let's say that they do. And now they're outside of the range and Jimmy Garoppolo has season ending surgery, not coming back. The team decides that he is not the quarterback of the future how upset how meaningless will these victories be because those wins over dallas and now dallas moves on or let's say they beat washington and now they have one more victory than washington on the season by the season's end because they beat washington now the 49ers are not in a position to snag a franchise quarterback or they have to use more resources like future draft picks to trade up for a quarterback would that sit right with you or at, or is that just the name of the game? Like, you just can't control that. I think it's just the name of the game. I mean, when they were in contention for Nick Bosa, they won games down the stretch, right? The, yeah. I think in the NFL especially, I don't think teams actively try to tank. Like, they even don't. the Jets, I feel like they play hard. They just suck, right? Or the Giants. Like, the Giants last night against the Bucks, like, they were playing their butts off for Joe Judge. And they're just not talented enough to beat uh, a team like, uh, the Bucks, and I think the same will be said for the 49ers even when they didn't have talent they were playing hard they were just losing games and I think there's just enough talent on this team that they'll win games and you deal with the quarterback situation in the offseason right and there's no that's why I, I don't agree where you're like Jimmy Garoppolo is definitely not coming back because I think it also depends on who the other options are sure. um, and and we'll have this conversation in depth sort of after the season but you have to look at kind of the landscape and if there's a better option then they'll take it but 
it all depends on kind of where they land in the draft, uh, who's available in the free agent market, who's available for trade. Uh, can they get Sam, a Sam Darnold or a Daniel Jones or whatever the case is, right? Um, so it all depends on all those kind of things. I think if you're Kyle Shanahan, all you're trying to do is win as many games as possible. I'm sure he still thinks the playoffs are in like sight. 100%. And so, and if you look at the schedule and you look at your roster, you're like, okay, if I can just stay afloat, then we can maybe get there. And so I'm sure that's all he's thinking about. He, the last thing on his mind is like draft picks and stuff like that. It's, it's a very fan Twitter thing, you know? So absolutely, yeah. And it just gives us something to talk about. So that's true. That's true. Let me ask you this. So the eight games in knowing what you know, now prefacing this with Matt Mayoko, 49ers, 49ers, like everybody, if you think of a beat writer, you think Matt Mayoko, he said that the team, he believes the team will move on from Jim Garoppolo. Do you agree? I do. And it contradicts what I just said because I was like, <laughs> let's wait till the offseason. But you put me on the spot. I and did. I just think there'll be a better option available. Um, I just look at it like he just has enough limitations in his game where you can't account for the roster being at like 2019 level because A, they're not. Right. Um, and B, there's just too many, there's just too many variations from injuries to to schedule to all this stuff where you need a quarterback to elevate your roster when the roster takes a hit because of these different things. And Garoppolo outside of those five games in 2017 hasn't proven to be that player. And I think they'll have an opportunity, whether it's a Dak Prescott, whether it's a Sam Darnold, whether it's a rookie quarterback, whether it's, I don't think it's going to be Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins or Matt Ryan, but they'll have an opportunity to go after somebody and upgrade somehow um and hopefully they make the right decision but i don't think it's i don't think it's garoppolo i don't either some people think they're going to keep him around to be a placeholder that doesn't make much sense giving his contract yeah um, if they're going to just rather ride with mullins yeah they're, yeah they're going to draft a rookie quarterback and they're going to use that money to sign another premium position uh, i think the reason that they move on is because you want somebody to elevate talent around you and whenever you talk about somebody who is pro jimmy garoppolo which you i mean i can understand why you'd be pro jimmy garoppolo but it never comes. It never comes down to how he holds back what is currently on the roster. It's always about well, there's injuries. Well, the line was bad. Well, this. Well, that. It's ne- when yeah. a situation has to be perfect around somebody. He's not the guy, and that's the most yep. simple yep. way that I can put it. Yep. We, we like with Russell Wilson, for instance. We never talk about. We don't even talk about who's injured on their offense or who suits up on the offensive line or how his offensive line's been bad or how his offensive coaching staff was um you know coaching blind last season or, or whatever the case is right we just talk about russell wilson has to be russell wilson every week but with jimmy garoppolo or any middle tier quarterback really the excuses come out and that's because the quarterback isn't good enough when the situation isn't good enough around him and i just hope they find someone that can elevate uh the roster and they've got talent on offense man it's not a bad roster so they can get someone that fits the system and can elevate their the offensive playmakers they'll be successful yeah expecting everybody to be healthy every game is just not real life that's not how the nfl works and i'm glad you brought up seattle's offensive line because the 49ers won more one-on-one battles against seattle than they have against any other team in the nfl so far this week or so far this year. Like Eric Armstead had his best game. Javon Kinlaw had his best game. You would not un, you would not know this because Russell Wilson is running out of these pressures 
and he is making plays down the field. So that eliminates any good play. But again, there has to be a player under center that is able to escape, elevate talent, because every offensive line is getting beaten like this year. And I'll, and I'll say this, holding on to mediocrity like Jimmy Garoppolo because you're afraid of getting worse is a loser mentality, in my opinion. You always have to try to get better. In the NFL, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. There is no, we're just going to stay status quo. So it's like, you got to swing for the fences. And okay, you may draft a player that ends up being worse or better or whatever the case is, but you can't sit back idly just because you're scared to take the leap for what's unknown. That's, yeah, just a, I just don't think, people in the NFL think that way. And even people in real life who are trying to grow and succeed don't think that way, right? Uh, aggressive people in life win. And so if the 49ers want to improve this offseason, they're going to have to be aggressive um, with their next quarterback. So that's a perfect way to end it. We will be back next Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever you are listening to this. Hopefully with a 49ers victory, it's the Packers. Come on, even with no Jimmy Grapple, even with no George Kittle, even with no Debo Samuel, the 49ers have a chance to win, have a probably good chance to win. It'll come down to, you know, the same old, same old. Is Aaron Rodgers going to be pressured? Because that will matter because the Packers are hit pretty hard, too, with injuries. So we'll see. Um, I'm not sure what else to say from there. We will see you guys. Uh, Follow me on Twitter. My name is Kyle Posey, KP underscore show. Akash, where can we find you? Find me at Twitter at A-K-A-S-H-A-N-A-V, uh, trying not to argue with people who come at me with their crazy <laughs> takes. Uh, <laughs> uh, hey, we didn't give game picks. Do you have a game pick for this Thursday? Do you have a score uh, prediction? I, man, I'll, I'll say I'll say Packers win because Mullins is flustered by a rush. So Packers win. Um, I don't think it's going to be high scoring, so I'll go – 2021 to 17. Yeah, I think the Packers win. I think it's a winnable game. I think it's going to be close, but I think Aaron Rodgers is just going to make more plays than Nick Mullins. I go Packers 23, 49ers 16, even though the Green Bay running back is like near you. Some random. So, <laughs> yeah, I think Packers win. And with that, we will talk to you guys next Wednesday and go Niners.